Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. So we are on uh, week two of uh, this, this year's called The Comeback. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, you need to go listen to week one because these, these weeks are kind of building um, off of each other. And we talked about last week the importance of being content in your context of when you have a setback in life, when you're in need of a comeback, getting to the point where you begin to pursue the peace of God in your situation, in your family, in your dysfunction, in your chaos, in your tragedy, in the thing that is causing you all the pain and the grief, at that moment, you beginning to pursue the peace of God in that circumstance, and that is where you begin your comeback. And so if you weren't with us last week, I want to encourage you to go listen to it. But we are continuing the series tonight, and I have entitled this message, Character Catches Up. Character Catches Up. Turn to your neighbor and say, Character Catches Up. Turn to your other neighbor and say, maybe you haven't heard, Character Catches Up. So tonight, I'm going to walk you through literally the entire life of a Bible character. And for those of you guys who come a lot, you know that I I usually don't do that to this extent. Um, But I feel like it's so fitting for tonight. So I need you to stick with me. We're going to go through a lot of text. I'm going to summarize a lot of it. But I want to give you a window of this individual's life named Samson. And so if you grew up in church, you know Samson. Uh, I was joking around on Sunday. You know, you probably saw a flannel picture of Samson attached to a board if you grew up going to Sunday school. It was just just jacked guy out of his mind looking like he was the one who who invented CrossFit. Just beast, stud of an individual. But, you know, like the older I get and the more I think about Samson, I tend to think that he probably looked more like a normal individual because everyone was always wondering why he was so strong. Everyone was always intrigued by the source of his strength. And if he was just a huge jacked guy, I don't think people would have questioned it as much. They would have just thought he was a meathead that ate a lot of protein and went to the gym five hours a day. But everyone was always wondering what the source of it. For those of you who know the story, who grew up listening to the story, you know that the source of his strength was his consecration to God. And so I want to walk you through this individual's life because he has such an amazing comeback story. And I feel like there are so many things that we can pull from this tonight. Can you stick with me for a few minutes as we go through this story? Good, because you don't have a choice. We're going to do it anyways. We're going to be in Judges. I encourage you to go home tonight or tomorrow. You can read through this story yourself. But we're going to start in Judges chapter 13, verse 5. You see this picture of this angel of the Lord coming to a barren woman, a woman who couldn't have children. And uh, that's kind of a funny coincidence because the story we talked about last week also involved a barren woman. But this, this angel of the Lord comes to this woman, and he gives her such an incredible promise. He says, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. A couple things really quick. First of all, it's ridiculous that an angel is talking to a lady. Second of all, it's ridiculous that an angel is saying that a barren woman is going to be having a baby. Thirdly, it's pretty crazy because this, this angel says black and white, this boy is to be a Nazarite. Now, what it meant to be a Nazarite, this was a religious group that was next level, set apart, consecrated to God. And so they would take this thing called the Nazarite vow, which basically was a promise, an oath, to abstain from a number of things. And these were symbolic of their consecration to God. One of these restrictions was that a razor would never touch your head. You would never cut your hair. So this angel is saying a razor will never touch this little boy's head. 
because he's supposed to be a Nazarite. Now, the most amazing thing about all of this to me is that the angel comes right out and says the purpose of this little boy's life. You know, every child that we've had, we've had three, when you're in the hospital and you have this little baby in your arms all of a sudden, it's the most surreal moment because you realize, I mean, you've been kind of preparing yourself that you're going to have a child, but once you hold that child in your arms and you realize that you have an eternal being now, a soul in your arms, you start to think about things like, man, what is this child going to do? What does God have for this child? What is this child's life going to look like? What, what could they do? What could God do through them? The most incredible thing, the angel literally says, the purpose of this little boy's life is he's going to lead my people out of slavery from their enemy. He's going to help defeat the enemy. How amazing is that? Not only is she stoked out of her mind that she's actually going to be able to have a baby, but that an angel of the Lord just laid out everything for this little boy. If you skip down a number of verses in verse 24, you see that the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him. What I want to show you, I want to go through a few accolades and accomplishments that, that Samson had in his life. And I want you to take note of this theme. You see as, this, as he's a little boy, as he's born, that the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. The theme that you're going to see in these next few things we're going to read is that as Samson is consecrated to God, as he's set apart to God, the spirit of the Lord is always at work in Samson. And he's accomplishing his purpose in life. He's accomplishing his God-given destiny, and God uses him in absolutely incredible ways. So let's look at some of these accomplishments that Samson is known for. Judges 14, verse 5, we read that Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. I say this all the time. This is one of the funniest verses in the Bible to me that the author tries to help us understand by saying he tore it apart like you would tear apart a young goat. As if that helps me understand any more what it would feel like to tear a line apart with my bare hands. I'm supposed to envision, oh, like a young goat? Okay, that's how he tore it apart. I would struggle to tear my notes in two right now, let alone rip a living animal into pieces with my bare hands. But the author is just trying to help you understand how easy it was for Samson. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, this young lion was about to wipe out him and his family, that he literally tore this thing apart with his bare hands. Crazy. Now, the reason why him and his parents were going down to Timnah was because Samson, there was a, a lady who caught his eye. And who caught his heart. The crazy thing is, is that she was a Philistine. So she was a part of the enemy. And this guy's purpose in life was to help defeat the enemy of God's people. So his parents are confused and they don't understand. And I could only imagine the awkward conversations that happened the whole trip. Because they're like, we know what your purpose is. We don't understand why you want to marry this enemy. But what we get to see, a window we get to see in Scripture, is that Scripture says that it was actually God who put it on Samson's heart to marry this girl because the Lord was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. So as Samson is set apart to God, the Spirit of the Lord is working in Samson. He's even doing some things that, like, make no sense, no common sense. To the naked eye, you're like, what are you doing? 
That doesn't even make sense. But he was being led by God, even probably when he didn't even realize it. Now, for the smart aleck guy in here who's like, you see, I am supposed to love that girl who's not a Christian. I am supposed to marry that girl who's not a Christian. I'll make a deal with you. The moment that you can tear apart a line with your bare hands, then we can have a conversation. Until then, just follow the New Testament, okay? So <laughs> the Lord is, is, is seeking an occasion to confront the enemy through Samson. So this is what happens. Samson goes down to Timnah to marry this girl. He makes a deal with the bridal party, who are the enemy, who are all Philistines, and he gives them a riddle. It's kind of a weird story, but it is what it is. So he gives them a riddle, and he says, if you can figure out this riddle, then I'll give you 30 garments. But if you guys can't figure out this, this riddle, then you're going to give me 30 garments, So, which was worth a lot of money. So for four days, the enemy, they can't figure it out. The bridal party, they can't figure it out. So they take Samson's wife, and they tell her, if you don't find out the answer to this riddle and let us know, we're going to burn you and your family to death. They're savages. They're crazy. And so she starts nagging Samson. She starts prodding Samson. you got to tell me the answer. And, and she just begins to manipulate him in whatever way that she can to the point where she's like, if you actually truly loved me, then you would tell me the answer. I don't understand how you're hiding anything from me. To the point where on the seventh day, the last day, Samson finally gives in and he says, all right, fine. If you want to know the answer... He gives her the answer, probably assuming there's only a couple hours left anyways. What harm is it going to do? She runs back, tells everyone, tells the enemy. They come back to Samson, and they give him the answer, and Samson immediately knows that he's been had. And so I can only imagine the rage that Samson's feeling towards the enemy for manipulating his, his brand-new wife, and I can only imagine the heartbreak and the disappointment that Samson is feeling that his brand-new wife, this, this lady that he loved, just betrayed him like that. But you see, what's incredible about this story is that through a weird series of events, God is still accomplishing his will through Samson because Samson is set apart to God. And so God is orchestrating all the pieces. So you read that the spirit of the Lord, we're going to see this phrase again, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he went down to Ashkelon. He struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So after this whole incident, had taken place. There was a confrontation with the enemy. He went and killed 30 more of the enemy, came back, gave them their garments. Samson is so angry at this point. He's like, I need time to cool down. I need to take a break. So Samson, he dips. He's like, I'll, I, I need a minute. I need a second. This, his new bride's father, his father-in-law, just assumed he was so angry he was never going to come back. So what he does is he gives his daughter to somebody else. So after all this heartbreak, after all this disappointment, after all this anger, Samson now comes back to find out that his new wife has now been given to somebody else. So Samson does exactly what I would have thought to do. Samson goes and he catches 300 fox. And then what he does, is it Kelly, who's, is it Kelly Clarkson who does the, I, I dug my key in? Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood. She needs to come out with a song about catching 300 fox because this is, this is way better. So he catches 300, and then he takes them by two, and he ties their tails together. So he got 150 pairs, and he puts a burning torch in between their tails. So gangster. <laughs> and then he drops off these fox with the burning torches in the wheat fields and grain fields of the enemy and lets them run wild and burn everything to the ground. 
I mean, you got to give the guy like an A for creativity and for effort. That's unbelievable. Anybody can key a car or key a wagon or whatever they had, key a horse. But not everybody could come up with something like that. All the horse lovers in here are like, I'm never coming back to this place again. I would never key a horse. I don't even know who can do that. Any, anyways, we're digressing. So when the enemy finds out what happened, didn't take long, they go and they get the wife that he had married and her family, and they burn them to death. So now you read that Samson just has had it, and he goes and he puts a crazy beating on the enemy, all the men who did it. And then he goes back home. Well, the enemy is like, we're done with this dude, Samson. He burned everything down. He beat up all of our men. This is ridiculous. So they assemble a massive army to go to God's people and to get Samson. So this is what hap- happens. Samson's own people, who he was created to protect and to lead, come to Samson. And they're like, listen, we don't necessarily fault you for what you did. We understand. But at the same time, we're not willing to all die to protect you. And so we need to capture you. You need to let us capture you. And we just need to deliver you to the enemy because we're not about to lose all of our families because of everything that happened. So Samson agrees to do that. And then you read in Judges 15, it says that as he approached Lehi, the Philistines, the enemy, came towards him shouting. Check out this verse again. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it, and he struck down a thousand men. I dare you, the next time you get into a confrontation with someone, to be like, yo, you're so lucky I don't have a jawbone right now. If I had a jawbone, game over. Chris White, you can use that. If I had a jawbone right now, this would be a different story. But again, this is what's crazy. You see this exact same verse again. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. You're seeing a theme. As Samson is set apart to God, the spirit of the Lord is constantly at work, constantly coming upon him. And what's happening, God is orchestrating through a crazy series of events, this whole situation where God's purpose is being worked out through Samson. Even at times where I'm sure Samson is like, is this part of God's plan? Because my life is taking some crazy turns. Like, what is going on? I I didn't picture my life working out this way, but God was fulfilling his will through Samson's life. And one of the coolest verses you see in the last verse of chapter 15 in Judges, it says that Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. You know why that's so cool? It's because that's what he was created for. My dream, my goal in life would be that when I'm dead and gone, people could look at my life and be like, he lived the exact purpose that God created him for. He, he didn't settle for anything less. He was in the lane that God intended for him to walk in, that the Spirit of the Lord was constantly at work in him and worked through him, and he was able to do things for God to accomplish God's will because he was set apart to God. So cool. As he's consecrated to God, he's accomplishing his purpose in life. So you end chapter 15 on such a high note. If the story ended there, it would be amazing. But what's crazy is the very next verse, the very next verse, which starts chapter 16, says, where did it go? says, one day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. What? 
How do you go from leading God's people for 20 years, doing exactly what you were created for, exactly what you were purposed for, exactly what you were destined for, being completely consecrated to God, and then you just say in the next verse, he saw a prostitute, so he went in and spent the night with her? Have you ever had it happen where you knew somebody for a length of time, you loved the person, you had so much respect for the person, and then you don't see him for a number of years, and then you see him again, you're like, what happened to you? What? Like, what? You're not even the same person. What happened? Something happened between these two verses. As the years went on, compromise must have started to seep into Samson's life. There must have been some things in Samson's character that started to deteriorate because you don't just wake up one day and give up everything and make crazy choices like that. At some point along the line, compromise must have started to seep in. Now, I think something that we can all take from this Nobody is above a character check. This is a guy who, who you, you just read this whole thing. God laid out his purpose. An angel of the Lord spoke to a barren woman. I mean, this dude's life was marked by miracle after miracle after miracle. He was constantly being used by God. God's spirit was all over this individual. He led God's people for 20 years, and he still falls. Nobody is above a character check. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care if you're involved in ministry. I don't care who your mama is, who your grandmother is. Nobody is above accountability. Nobody is above somebody saying, hey, I love you. And I'm just pointing something out because I'm concerned. And it's not because I'm jealous of you. It's not because I'm, I just, I want to see you be the person that God created you to be. And there's some things that are sticking out to me. Nobody is above that. Samson, at some point, began to loosen the reins on his life and, and, and allowed compromise to turn him into an individual that he wasn't, that he didn't start out to be. So what happens is the enemy finds out that he's in with a prostitute. The enemy surrounds the house that he's in and has this whole plan of how they're going to capture Samson. Samson is tipped off somehow, and he's able, through his own experience, through everything he's been through in life, he smarts his way out of it. He escapes in the middle of the night, and he's not captured. But wouldn't you think that that'd be a wake-up call? Wouldn't you think that he'd take a moment and be like, wow, I was this close to everything ending. I was this close to losing everything for a dumb decision. But it doesn't. You see the next verse, you start to read that Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah. And right after it talks about him falling in love with Delilah, you see Judges 16.5 says that the rulers of the Philistines, the enemy again, They went to Delilah and they said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Isn't it crazy how similar this sounds to the first marriage? Isn't it crazy that things are playing out exactly like it did the first time around? You'd think that that would be a wake-up call, but not yet. Things are starting to sound familiar. So the enemy comes up with this plan that they're going to hide in the inner chambers of the home, that Delilah is going to get Samson to tell her the secret to his great strength, and then once they're able to subdue him, they're going to jump out, they're going to ambush him. So Delilah begins to nag Samson to death and ask him, if you loved me, you would tell me. And so Samson, he lies to her at first, and, and he comes up with a weird lie. He says, if you were to bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while Samson is asleep and the enemy is waiting to ambush him, she ties him up with seven fresh bowstrings. 
She then screams at him in the middle of his sleep, Samson, get up, the enemy's upon you. When he wakes up out of adrenaline, out of instinct, he just snaps the bindings and they fall down and she realizes he still has his strength. Now, wouldn't you think that would be a good indicator? Like, what is this girl trying to do? Like, I just confided in you. Why are you doing this? Wouldn't you think that you'd be tipped off at that point? Wouldn't you think that you'd start to remember how the first story ended? So she begins to nag him again, and so he tells her a second line. He, he says the second time, if you were to use new ropes, then I'd become as weak as any other man. Same exact situation plays out. Falls asleep. She ties him with new ropes. She screams at him. He wakes up out of instinct, snaps the ropes. He's still strong. She realizes he lied again, and still he's not tipped off. Third time, he lies to her third time, and he says, if you were to braid my hair into a web and fasten it with a pin, where did his creativity go? These are weird things. Then I would become as weak as any other man. But notice that, that it's getting closer and closer to the truth. So he says, if you braided my hair and you put a pin in it, I become as weak as any other man. She falls asleep. He falls asleep. She yells at him, the enemy's upon you. He wakes up, pulls the pin out. He still has his strength. I, I mean, how many times is it going to take for this guy to realize this girl's up to no good, that there is something happening, that the enemy is waiting to ambush him? He doesn't realize it because every time he was able to use his strength to break free. This is the reality. I want you to hear this tonight. His physical strength masked his spiritual weakness. He was using his God-given gift to mask his spiritual weakness. How many times in life do you and I get comfortable enough with our own talents, our own giftings, that we know that we can finagle our way out of whatever we need to. I know just what to say. I know just what to do. I know just what to leave out to throw you off my scent. So that you walk away and you think, oh, actually, he is doing pretty good. Wow, okay. I guess I was wrong. I thought maybe I... He was so confident in his own God-given gift, his physical strength, that it was masking his spiritual weakness which ended up leading to his fall. If you continue to read, you see that she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time that you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. What? What's wrong with this lady? Like, wouldn't you be like, you're, at, you're, what, you're mad at me? What did you just do to me three times? But that doesn't happen. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was so sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. I'm just going to say it because you're probably thinking it. Is Samson an idiot? Honestly, what, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with this guy? How, how many things does it take? How many wake-up calls do you need to realize you are playing with fire? You are playing with fire. But here's the thing. If you step back, you just start to realize that Samson, he had a problem with women. You see that the, the first story, it was through the lady that he ended up 
telling her something that he shouldn't. You see that it was his problem with women that led him to go spend the night with the prostitute. You see that it was his problem with women that drew him to Delilah that took him down the same exact road that he went down the first time and got him into trouble again. What you see is that there is a big weakness that he's never addressed because he was always able to cover his tracks. He was always able to get out of it. He was always able to even use his God-given gift to mask his spiritual weakness. And how many of us return and go back to the very things that we tell God, I'll never do it again? We can sit back and we can be all self-righteous and we could judge Samson and we could read his life and be like, man, this dude's a fool. I can't believe he didn't see it coming. I would be so afraid if someone were to journal my entire life and document every time I went back on my word and the things that God saved me from, the things that I swore to God I would never do again. Where Samson went wrong was that he was holding himself above accountability. There was no character check in Samson's life. He was using his strength to cover his tracks. Satan knows your weakness. Satan knows just where to hit you. So if he uses women with Samson, maybe that's not your thing, but he knows exactly where to attack you. He knows exactly what to keep coming back with. You begin to read, you see that after putting him to sleep on her laps, Delilah called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him. And Samson's strength left him. You see, that hair we read about right in the beginning was a symbol of his consecration to God. That hair represented the vow that he made to be set apart to God. Once his consecration to God was gone, he was as weak as anybody else. Once he wasn't set apart to God anymore, the source of his strength was gone. The source of his gifting was gone. You see, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep, and Samson thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. This is so funny. He had become so accustomed to getting himself out of trouble. He had been so accustomed to using his own strength and his own gifting to cover his tracks that he just thought, I'll do it as, like I've done every time before, not really realizing, no, you're in too deep at this point. And how crazy is this? How is it that we, I, I, I brought you through all these verses for a reason. How many times do we read that the spirit of the Lord was stirring inside of Samson? That the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson? The spirit of the Lord worked through Samson? Miracles, supernatural things are happening through Samson. How is it that a man who's been marked by the spirit of God being in him and working through him his entire life, how does he get to the point where he doesn't even realize that that spirit had left him? You know how? Because it was a gradual thing. Because it was compromise after compromise after compromise. Because it was unchecked character for years. Because it was bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Because he allowed himself to begin to slip away. Because he, he didn't protect the thing that represented his consecration to God. His heart was not in the same place. I believe it's because he began to fall more in love with his gifting than the God who gave it to him to begin with. How many of us in church, you can know God, you fall more in love with what you're talented in, what you're gifted in, what you feel like you are called to do than the one who called you to do it. You wonder, how did my character get so out of whack? Well, because you begin to idolize the very thing that God gave you to bring people to him, not bring people to you. 
And Samson began to live a life where he was using that God-given thing to mask the weakness that he had spiritually. Isn't this so crazy? The only enemy that was able to take Samson down was his own character. Nobody else could do it. The only thing that was able to take Samson down was his own character because it's a matter of time before character catches up. It's a matter of time. You see, your character, it has the ability to either solidify your foundation in life or erode it right, right beneath your feet. The thing that nobody sees, the, the, the area of life that's below the surface, that has the power to either build you up or tear you down. This summer I've been working on a, a, a bulkhead, and it's really weird and random, but I've, I've never worked on a bulkhead before, so there's been a learning curve. And um, when you're working in dock work or bulkhead work, you use this thing called a jet pump, which is basically a long pipe, shoots water out like a fire hose. Crazy, crazy. Brendan's laughing because he saw me get trashed by it a number of times. <laughs> crazy. It shoots water out so hard. And the reason why it does is because you use this pump to literally displace the muck below the surface of the water. And the, the deeper that you shove this pump, the deeper that you displace the muck. So when you have a 12-foot piece of lumber that you need to put in place, you're blowing away the muck eight feet below the muck so that you can sink that thing and it'll be solid. And what's crazy is when you take that pump out, that muck automatically backfills on itself and it's like cement. You can't move it. But you need this pump to be able to do it. So I never used this pump before. It was a learning curve for us. And so, you know, we're, we're out there the first day and we got this huge piece of lumber sticking out of the water and you got to stand pretty close to where you need to put it because this thing will literally throw you right back in the water. It's so powerful. You got to watch where you point it. And so it was the coolest thing because as we're figuring it out and as I'm pushing it down, in real time, you can literally see your progress because this massive piece of lumber is just slowly dropping. And so it's so easy to track your progress because you can literally see the wood dropping. What I didn't realize was that as I was doing that, I also was undermining what was underneath my feet. And so we sunk the board as low as it needed to go, and then I realized I was buried in muck to my knees. I didn't even realize that I couldn't move. It was like being in cement. How many of us, we live our life in a way where I am living for what you can see and for what I can see. I'm living for real-time progress. I want to see that I'm making gains. I want to see that I'm doing something with my life. I want you to see that I'm making moves. I want you to see where I'm at. And I completely ignore what's below the surface. I live for what you can see, and I completely ignore what only God can see. Your character can either solidify your foundation life, or it can erode it right below your feet. You see that God tells Samson or Samuel when he's picking out the next king of Israel, you see that he says, the Lord does not see as man sees. In other words, the Lord's not looking for what's above the surface. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's not looking for real-time progress like everyone else sees. God is looking for the character that you should be working on where nobody sees. You know, what's amazing about King David, who God pointed Samuel to anoint, King David's heart was never pointed towards being a king. King David's heart was pointed towards God, and God appointed him as king. David's heart was in the right spot. David valued just his intimate relationship with God. And it was because of what nobody could see that God put him in a position where everyone could see and God could use him the way that he did. 
Character is so important. One of my favorite quotes is, never let your gifting take you where your character can't keep you. Never let your gifting take you where your character can't keep you. You know, as I was reminding myself of this quote, as I was uh, writing this and kind of praying through this, I, I, I started to ask myself this question. Maybe it's the grace and the protection of God that doesn't allow me to get where I want to go right now or to get everything that I ask for because he knows that I don't have the character to sustain it. Maybe that frustration that I'm feeling because from what everyone can see, what I can see, things aren't where I want it to be, is actually the grace of God keeping it that way because he knows that the bigger the impact, the bigger the foundation. The bigger the building, the bigger the foundation. And if you don't have that foundation in, pl in place, the bigger the fall. I is my character the thing that's keeping me from my destiny? I is the thing that only God can see and I can see the thing that's holding me back? Is it actually God's provision that is allowing me to not get there? Character has the ability to either raise your ceiling or cap your potential. It has the ability to take you places where you can never go on your own. It also has the ability to cap, to put a ceiling on it. Because this can't sustain what God wants to do in you and through you. Character always, always catches up. Now this is the amazing thing, is that it's not just a negative thing. In Samson's case, we see the negative side of it. That you're going to hide stuff, you're going to do this behind the scenes. It's only a matter of time before your character catches up to you. But I believe it also works in the reverse. That when you focus on what only God can see, and you build godly character, that godly character catches up. And it's a matter of time before your comeback becomes a reality because you've been focusing on what God is focused on. Too many times in life, though, it's way easier to blame God than to look inward. Too many times it's easier for me to get frustrated with God because I don't see the provision. I don't see the breakthrough. I don't see the comeback. It's easier for me to do that than it is for me to take a deep look inside and say, am I the problem? Some of us, it takes us losing relationships, friendships, jobs, finances to begin to realize that the problem is actually in me. I'm the problem. You see that once the Philistines got Samson, they actually gouged out his eyes and they took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. I want to call the band up as I begin to close tonight. And you know, I mean, how humiliating and how shameful is it for this man who was created to lead God's people and who did so in an incredible way for over 20 years to be so low now at the point where his strength is gone, he's captured by the enemy, they gouge out his eyes, and they set him to just grinding grain in the prison. He was a trophy for the enemy. I think it's so profound that they gouged out his eyes, even spiritually speaking, because you ever notice that once you start to allow compromise to seep in, once you start to ignore your character and you ignore what's below the surface, you ever start to notice you start to lose a vision for your own life? You start to lose your ability to dream for your life and for your marriage and for your kids. Vision is the first thing to go. They gouge out his eyes, but the story doesn't end there. And I'm so thankful that it does because if the story were to end there, that would be one of the saddest stories in the Bible. 
you know what this guy's purpose is. You know what God had destined for him to do. You saw that he was at the point where he was, he was doing it. You know, I get heartbroken for people that you read about or you see that were used by God in miraculous ways. And then at some point, because they don't have any character checks in their life, they have such a huge fault. My heart breaks for those people because I can't imagine the level of discouragement and depression you must feel when you have tasted and seen the goodness of God. When you've tasted and seen the faithfulness of God. And now you find yourself at a place where you didn't even realize you didn't have him anymore. You didn't even realize that that spirit that had been with you your entire life was gone. But thankfully for you and me and thankfully for Samson, the story doesn't end there. Verse 22 says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is so cool because, take it from me, you can't think about hair growing back and actually have hair grow back. You can't will your hair to grow back. It doesn't work. I could sit here all day long and be like, it's not going to work. That'd be pretty sick, though. Imagine if it happened just now. That'd go viral. God, if you want, I'll, I'll do it. But You know, the Bible says that God knows every hair on your head, that he knits you together in your mother's womb. So only the God of creation can cause hair to grow. And by Samson shaving the one thing that God had said, don't ever let a razor touch your head, God could have said, okay, and guess what? You're never going to grow hair again. That will be a reminder of what you did. But God allowed the hair to grow back again. While Samson couldn't do anything about it. While Samson's in prison with no eyes, grinding grain, God allows his hair to grow back again. Listen, no matter what you've done, no matter the mistakes you've made, whether you knew God at one time or you've never even talked to them, you've never accepted them, whatever, I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how bad you think it is. Nobody is disqualified from relationship with God. The hair can still grow back. That relationship is still being offered. And you know what's amazing is that hair doesn't just represent relationship. That hair represented Samson's purpose. God was saying, he's going to be a Nazarite. Don't ever let him cut his hair because I'm going to use him to save my people. Not only are you not disqualified from relationship with God, but just because you've made mistakes, just because you've tripped up, doesn't mean that you've forfeited your purpose. Doesn't mean that you've given up your God-given destiny. That we serve a God of the comeback. A God who is always good and a God who is always faithful, especially when I'm not. You see that the Philistines aren't just content with keeping him in prison. They're not just content with having him grind grain. They actually send for him. They want to bring him out into a huge palace and parade him around and make a mockery of Samson. They want to brag on the fact that they took God's leader down. That the guy who was supposed to lead God's people away from the enemy, that they conquered him, that they defeated Samson. So they send a servant to go get Samson. You see in verse 26, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. See, what Samson was doing was Samson was positioning himself, physically positioning himself where he could have the biggest impact for God. Do you know what that looks like for you and I? 
That means physically positioning ourselves in church. That means physically positioning ourselves in good, healthy community. That means physically positioning ourselves to make it a priority to spend time with God, to, to, to be consecrated and set apart to God and make sure that I don't let anything infringe on that. I don't let anything get in the way of that. You physically position yourself to have the biggest impact for God when you prioritize those things. So Samson, he tells him, let me lean against the pillars. And then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. For those of you who don't know the end of the story, Samson prays this prayer and he ends up pushing these pillars down, caving the whole temple in on itself and killing every Philistine that was there. Now, the first time I ever read this story as an adult who wasn't just listening to it in Sunday school, I remember thinking, that's such a weird thing to pray, God, remember me. But when we read it like we just did tonight, and you read the entire thing, and you read all the accolades, and you see how the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and you go back to the purpose that the angel said from the beginning, you understand that what Samson was saying, God, I'm ready to acknowledge your purpose for my life. I'm done living for me. I'm done with the compromise. I'm done ignoring what you see. God, remember why you put me here. God, remember from that word that you gave my mother before I was even born. God, let me get revenge on the people that you created me to defeat. I'm here. I'm yours. I've messed up, but I'm, I'm back now. God, remember me. God, strengthen me just one more time. You know what I think is so amazing is that it was Samson's physical setback that began the process of a spiritual comeback. Think about it for a second. If Samson's eyes weren't gouged out, I don't think that servant would have listened to a word that he said. But the servant was escorting him because he couldn't see. And so when he said to the servant, hey, could you put me by the pillar so I can lean on them? I don't think the servant even questioned it because he was leading a blind man. But God used his physical setback to initiate his spiritual comeback. And you see the comeback that he made spiritually when his heart cries out, God, remember me. God, I'm, I'm back. And I'm, I'm ready to do what you created me for. I'm ready to be used by you again. I wonder what, what things have you been ignoring? What things below the surface, what things that only God can see have you been ignoring because you've been so focused on real-time progress that everyone else can see? What, what character issues are there? Maybe it's, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's being envious of somebody. Maybe it's anger or hatred. Maybe it's unforgiveness. What, what things are there? Have you begun to fall more in love with the gift that God gave you than the God who gave it to you to begin with? Have you begun to, to idolize the very thing that he placed for you to bring people to him? And I ask you that question not to make you feel bad. I ask you that question because nobody's above it. Because I've been asking myself the question all week. Because we need to realize that it's a matter of time before character catches up. And if you are going to have a godly comeback, it requires godly character. The good news for you and I is that character catches up. If I start focusing on only what God can see and I say, God, 
I don't care what everyone else can see. I don't care if it looks like I'm spinning my wheels to everybody else. I don't care if it looks like I'm making decisions that nobody else understands. If you lead me to it, then let me do it. If you speak it to me, then let me listen to it. I don't care what anybody else sees. I'm done for living. I'm done with living for that. Let me live for what only you can see. God, purify this. God, work on this. Let me focus on what you can see. And I, I'll trust and have faith that when I begin to establish godly character, that that character will catch up, and then I'll begin to live out a godly comeback. That godly progress will catch up at some point. I want to invite you to stand up tonight. We're going to close out, and we're going to spend a, a few minutes in worship. I want to let you know we got a prayer team standing along the back gate. And if you're here tonight and you need prayer for anything, it might have to do with what we talked about. It may be something totally different. we got a team along the back that would love to just listen pray with you, encourage you. As soon as we start this song, you can make your way back and they would love to just spend a couple minutes with you in prayer. Can I encourage you with this though? I don't know what your setback is at the moment. I don't know what season you're walking through. I don't know how daunting it seems. I don't know how embarrassing maybe it's been or how shameful it's been. Maybe it's something that's completely outside of your control. Maybe it's something that you have caused. I don't know what it is. But can I encourage you with this? You know, the Bible actually says that when Samson did that in the end with the temple, he killed more of the enemy in that moment than he did the entire time he lived. Do you know what that means? The comeback was even greater than he started. That act two was better than act one. And so maybe you felt disqualified from relationship with God. Maybe you've definitely felt disqualified from ever being used by God. Can I speak life back into you today and say, if you begin to work on what's in here, if you begin to focus on godly character, character catches up. And you will lift the ceiling off of your life. And God will begin to use you. His spirit will begin to work inside of you and stir in you. And it will bring you to places where you have the biggest impact for God. You begin to live the purpose and the destiny that God created you to live. I want to ask you all across this room, if you're here tonight, you just say, man, I want to value that. I want that to be important to me. Because you know what? It's hard. I fall into the trap all the time of living for what people can see, of valuing what people can see. But if you're here tonight and you say, I, I need to begin to value what only God can see, I want to ask you, can you raise your hands tonight? Can we pray together? Can we agree as a community to value what God is trying to do inside of us? Jesus, we come before you tonight. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that through your death, that initiated our comeback story. We thank you that through you dying, it gave me a doorway into eternal life. God, we ask tonight, Lord, that you begin to do such a deep work inside of all of us, Lord, that I would begin to supernaturally value what you're doing on the inside more than what I'm asking you to do on the outside. God, I pray, Lord, that if I've, in any area of my life, if I've elevated myself above character check, God, put people in my life that would speak into it, Lord, that would call things out. Holy Spirit, we give you full access, and we say, identify every part of us that needs to go. Identify everything inside of me that needs to be cut out. God, I don't want to just live for what people see. I want to live for what only you can see. And I believe and trust that if I can establish godly character, I'll begin to live out a godly comeback. God, we love you. We worship you tonight. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.